Good evening, everyone. Uh, it is great to be with you here. Um, I don't take lightly the invitation that Marissa gave to me to, to, to use this time and share with you all on this, this Wednesday evening. Um, I, will, I will share, like uh, Marissa said, I, I don't work here. Uh, so is that the caveat, then the disclaimer that the words that Brian say may or may not reflect the views of Trinity United Methodist Church? How, how's that? How's that disclaimer? I love it. <laughs> um, no, it, it is truly an honor and a privilege. And um, unlike, unlike Marissa, I enjoyed last week, I, I joined on Facebook like I do most times, a little bit later than everybody else. But Marissa shared this, her, her great, her own personal story, but also shared her preparation and all the planning and, the, and all the greatness that she does in doing this. I got none of that. Uh, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go and share a little bit about what I'm studying. And, and we're going to share a little bit about I'm struggling with, and you all can help me. How does that sound like for a plan? Let's do it. So um, what we're going to do, and what I, what I find with myself is that whenever I'm kind of struggling, like where I need to be studying, what I need to be doing, I, I am drawn to Nehemiah. I have no idea Why? When I say that to most people, they look at me like I have three heads. You all are too kind to do that to me. Uh, but the, the story of Nehemiah is fascinating to me, especially when you pair it with, with Ezra, the, the book before. And, and you probably have heard this before, that uh, originally Ezra and Nehemiah were one book, um, and they were, they were told to one story. But it is just a fascinating story that, at least to me, gives me guidance and comfort living today in 2023 and all the things that we're doing. And so I'm going to read part of the scripture here. And John was so nice to put all of Nehemiah 6. I was talking to, to Margaret about this. I said, well, the scripture reading for tonight will be uh, Nehemiah chapters 1 through 6. That would be a little long for us uh, to do that. So we've got to narrow it down to 6. And we're going to talk just a little bit about, about that. Um, and so Nehemiah 6 tells us, now when Sanzibal, Tobiah, and Gershom, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no gaps in it, although I hadn't hung the doors and the gates, Sanzibalt and Gershom sent me this message, Come, let's meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they wanted to harm me, so I sent messages to tell them, I am doing important work, so I can't come down. Why should I stop while I leave it to come down to you? They sent me a message like this four times, and every time I gave them a similar reply. But the fifth time, Sanzibalt sent his servant to me in the same way, except now he carried an open letter. And it stated, It is reported among the nations and confirmed by Gershom that you and the Jews intend to rebel. This is why you are rebuilding the wall. According to these reports, you intend to become their king. You have also appointed prophets to make this announcement about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now the king will hear these reports, so come, let's talk together. And so I sent him this reply, nothing that you say has happened. You are simply inventing this. All of them were trying to make us afraid, saying, they will be discouraged and the work won't get finished. But now God strengthened me. Later I went to see Shema, Deliah's son and Metal's grandson, who was confined to his house. And he said, let us meet together in God's house, inside the temple itself. Let's shut the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, someone like me run away? 
Who like me would go into the temple to save his life? I won't go in. Then I realized that God hadn't sent him at all, but he, was, but he spoke this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sensibalt had hired him. He was hired to frighten me and to make me sin by acting in this way. Then they could give me a bad name and discredit me. My God, remember these deeds of Tobiah and Sansibal. Also remember Noadim, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to frighten me. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month. It took 52 days. When our enemies heard about this, all of the nations around us were afraid, and their confidence was greatly shaken. They knew that this work was completed with the help of our God. In addition, in those days, the officials of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters were coming to them. And many in Judah were bound to him by solemn pledges because he was a son-in-law of Shekinah, Ahab's son, and the son of Jehoiakim had married the daughter of... You see, I'm really good at these Jewish names. Um, Meshula. They also kept talking about his good deeds in my presence and then reported back to him what I said. In addition, Tobias sent letters to intimidate me. I encourage you to go back and read chapters 1 through 5. But we're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the story there. Sometimes in life, you get the phone call from your school about your child and the principal wants to talk. You walk in, the doctor says, have a seat. We need to talk. You read the email that the promotion you wanted went to somebody else. The number on the scale isn't what you want it to be when you step on. And your Bible is over there on the shelf gathering dust, and you just can't seem to find, to find the time to crack it open, even though you want to. Somebody comes to you with one more decision that has to be made. Or maybe you look up one day and your life just isn't how you thought it would be. Sometimes everything around us seems to be falling apart. Just like the walls of Jerusalem, we can feel broken down and that our gates are destroyed by fire. I'm drawn to Nehemiah because I think Nehemiah gives me an, an example of how to deal with the ridicule, discouragement, and fear we can face as God works to pick up the pieces and rebuild and re-energize our life in him. In the beginning of, of Nehemiah, it starts off, it says, these are the words of Nehemiah. When I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers, came with some other men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity about Jerusalem. And they told me, those in the providence who survived the captivity are in great trouble and shame. The walls around Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. With this, Nehemiah at least cared enough to ask. And we all, get, we all go down, the, we pass somebody in the hallway and they say, how's it going? And you say, great. And what does that mean? I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm going to keep walking. But Nehemiah asked, how's it going? And really cared and wanted to know. 
And I think this is an example of one of those times where, like large doors, great life-changing events can swing on very small hinges. It was just another day when Moses went out to care for his sheep. But on that day, he heard the Lord's call and became a prophet. It was an ordinary day when David was called home from shepherding his flock. But on that day, he was anointed king. It was an ordinary day when Peter, Andrew, James, and John were mending their nets after a night of failure. But that was the day God called them to be fishers of people. You never know what God has in store, even in a commonplace conversation with a friend or a relative. So I'm reminded to keep my ears and my heart open for God's providential leading in all of those common conversations. We read on in Nehemiah that not only did Nehemiah care enough to ask, he cared enough to weep. Verse 4 says, When I heard this news, I sat down and wept, mourning for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He wept. When God puts a burden on our hearts, don't try to escape it. For if you do, we may be missing the blessing that he has planned for us. The book of, the book of Nehemiah begins with, quote, great affliction. But before it closes, there is great joy. The psalmist tells us, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But oh, those nights can be long. Not only did Nehemiah care enough to ask, did he care enough to weep, but he cared enough to pray. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 is a prayer that Nehemiah lifted up. And this prayer was the first of 12 instances of prayer recorded in this book. The book of Nehemiah opens and it closes with prayer and it's obvious that Nehemiah was a man of faith who depended wholly on the Lord to help him accomplish the work that God had called him to do. So he asked, he wept, and he prayed. Too often we stop there. Say, I'm praying for you. Or pray for this. We say, somebody should do something about that. And Nehemiah shows us that, yeah, he asked, he wept, he prayed, but then he volunteered. In verse 11, it says, it goes about how he's been, he's been, he was working there. He goes, it's been said that prayer is not getting human will done in heaven, but getting God's will done here on earth. However, for God's will to be done on earth, he has chosen to work through people. And a good friend of mine reminds me of this. Is there's a reason I'm not God, because I would not have chosen people to work through. I would have chosen golden retrievers. Much more faithful, much more easy to get along with than people. But God has chosen us. People who are available, him, available to him to use. And if God is going to answer prayer, he must start by working in the one that's doing the praying. I'll say that again. He must start by working in the one 
that's doing the praying. He works in us and through us to help us see our prayers answered. As we finish Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to skip ahead. Don't worry, we're not going to live out Nehemiah in real time tonight. We're going to skip ahead and we go from here. And, and Nehemiah has inspected the city. Read this, read this part in chapter 2. It is fascinating. If you like horses, it's in there. He found that Jerusalem was just as, as it had been reported to him, if not in worse shape. He goes back to the leaders of the Jews and tells them his plan to rebuild and repair the city. And so what is the leader of the, of the Jews' response? Let's start building. They did. That's what they said. And they eagerly began work, it said in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 18. So they, so they rebuilt the wall and they all lived happily ever after. Right? <laughs> Thanks for playing. No. In verse, in verse 18, we're saying, let's rebuild, and we go together. And then in verse 19, it says, But when Sanzibalt, the Horite, Tobiah, and Amor the Amorite official, and Gershom, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and made fun of us. What are you doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? All this excitement. Have you ever, I'm going to change something. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to do this thing. And you share it with somebody you're excited about. And they're like, oh, like you did the 18 times before? How did they know this when they wrote this? Through Nehemiah, God teaches us the, tax, the tactics that are so often used to keep us from following God's will. In what we might consider the big things, the small things, and the medium things. Chapter 4 goes through these. The first is the ridicule. It tells Sanzibalt heard of this, that we were building the wall, and he became angry and raged. Jump down to verse 3. said, Tobiah the Amorite, who was beside him, added, Even if a fox climbs on whatever they build, their wall of stones will crumble. Boom. That is an old-time uh, shade thrown right there. If a fox jumps on your wall, it's going to fall over. Right? He's not even, so they're, they're making fun. They're, there's no way they can do this, the, red, the ridicule. After the ridicule comes the plots. He says, the, they heard of the work on the wall was progressing and the gaps were being closed and they were angry and they plotted to come and fight against Jerusalem and to create a disturbance in it. Did you catch that? A disturbance in it. Not at it. Not coming from the outside but a disturbance from within. So often this disturbance from within is discouragement, fear, and selfishness. Just as I saw in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 10 said, or verse, or chapter 4, verse 10 says, But in Judah it was said, The carrier's strength is failing, and there is too much rubble. We're unable to rebuild the wall. We're discouraged. It didn't happen overnight. The fear, they're gonna, before anyone knows or sees anything, they're going to come in our midst and start to kill us. We must stop the work, they say. Or the selfishness. I'm just too busy right now. Or I've got this thing. Or, or you know, that's really not what I do. Or the infamous, I like it how it was. Or we tried that once and it didn't work. 
When attacks on the people failed to stop the work, the enemy started to attack the leader. We get to chapter 6. The first tactic of attacking the leader in Nehemiah was distraction. And I'm going to reread verses 1 through 4. Because this distraction is, is hoping to make us lose focus on our goal. It says, Now when Sanzibalt, Tobiah, and Gershom the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no gaps left in it, although I had not yet hung the doors of the gates, Sanzibalt and Gershom sent me this message. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages in the plain. But they wanted to harm me, so I sent the messengers to tell them, this is my favorite verse today of chapter 6, I am doing an important work, so I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave to come down to you? Can we say that? Would somebody say to me, I can't come down because I'm doing an important work. Because I'm living out the call that God has put into my life to keep away from the distractions. After distraction, it was slander and threats and intrigue. But none of these devices worked. The Bible tells us that Nehemiah was, quote, steadfast and unmovable. And he led his people to finish the work in 52 days. When you read the rest of the book of Nehemiah, you're going to learn that that 52 days wasn't a straight line. It wasn't easy. There's some people's favorite passage where their workers have their sword in one hand and their trowel in the other. And it wasn't, they lived happily ever after. Just how chapter 6 ended. The attacks kept coming, even after he accomplished what God had called him to do. But, throughout all of Nehemiah, God was with him as he picked up the pieces. Literally, the pieces of the walls of Jerusalem. So how does the story apply to us? God doesn't promise an easy road or everything we want when we think we want it. But he does promise to walk through everything with us. John 14, 16 through 17 tells us, I will ask the Father and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. The companion is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you. You and will be with you. When we try to focus on our calling, God teaches us to be on the lookout for those distractors. Referring to Satan, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, For we are not ignorant of his devices. If you start building, you will soon be battling. So be prepared. And when the situation is, when, it's, when the situation or, or the change is scary, we can remember Isaiah 41 verse 10 where it says, don't fear because I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you and I will surely help you. I will hold you with my righteous, strong hand. When others laugh at us as we try to move forward, improving our lives or living out God's call, remember Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not for disaster. I give you a future filled with hope. Y'all, we serve a risen Savior who has experience in picking up stones. In Matthew, it says, Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's amazing in our own eyes. Acts 4 tells us, this Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, and he has become the cornerstone. The story of Jeremiah, I think, is applicable back in 400, 500 BCE when it was written or told as it is today in 2023. We are called by God to live and to grow and to serve where we are in this season of life. It's not going to be easy. There will be distractors, but God promises to be with us step by step, stone by stone. Let's build upon the cornerstone. Amen.